Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary seeing the bouncing come back is not really such a bad thing. It, what, what it's showing is that the floor is now beginning to generate some, some strong downfalls. Formula One is on a four-week summer break after a hectic, rain-disrupted weekend in Belgium. And though it was a somewhat uneventful race for Mercedes fans, the weekend as a whole had plenty of action with some significant off-track developments and a sprint race programme with plenty of talking points. Join me, Val Baines, on this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast as we chat about the return of porpoising, Mercedes side pod upgrades, philosophy change and much, much more. Joining us to do that, we have two of our regulars, F1 journalist Adam Williams and Formula One engineer Tom Fletcher. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Looking forward to getting into this spa chat. <laughs> I thought you were going to just end the conversation, just getting into a spa with us, but that's not what we're talking about. And uh, Tom, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Always a pleasure to be back. It is a pleasure. And for the first time on the Silver Arrows podcast, we welcome Mercedes superfan Joe Collins. Welcome, Joe. Hi, thanks for having me on. Really excited. Right, let's get this party started. So Mercedes bought a surprisingly comprehensive update with remodeled side pods and new floor elements, Tom. Yeah, I think it's maybe something that, that happened uh, a bit further back and, and Mercedes didn't really bring these parts to Silverstone. Um, and it's sort of maybe a, a bit of a d- delay in, in in their development plan. Um, but yeah, we, we were seeing some more rounded side pods. Um, to I think the main the main thing there was to help with the the uh, cooling efficiency um, of the of the, of the package that they have, um, as well as a, a sort of a really unique looking concave shape side pod towards the end the end of the side pod that is. Um, and I think, yeah, all of these are working in, con- in conjunction with some extra floor elements to, to try and get some more downforce from the floor um, opposed to the wings. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it was a shock, actually, because they're, they're quite low key about it. And then all of a sudden they turn up and the car's looking uh, completely different. 
Um, and yeah, it soon unfolded how good they were or how good they weren't maybe. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I wonder whether some of these developments, because they're, they're not quite in the direction um, of the fastest team, which is Red Bull. Uh, I guess you can answer this better than I can, Tom. Mercedes are still compromised by the, the crash structure that they have on the car because of the cost cap. They can't do a big overhaul. So it's just marginal gains, isn't it, that they're making here? Yeah, so absolutely. If you if you look at, say, uh, the, the Red Bull side pod or even the McLaren, they've all gone for this uh, strange-looking beak shape that, that sits underneath the, the intake for the radiators. And basically what that does is, um, if you imagine only so much air can fit through that the intake into the, into the radiators, once you get up to a high speed, um, there's, there's nowhere for that air to go. So you end up with this, this stagnation of air that's trying to um, fit through that side pod and can't go anywhere. Um, so what's happening there is that that beak is acting as a, as a block to keep, to keep that slower, low energy air up and over the top of the side pod. Um, rather than being sucked down underneath, um, slowing the air going underneath the side pod. Um, and obviously Mercedes are kind of stuck with this, the SIPS side protection impact system um, just sat above the, the intake, which is effectively the reverse. So um, I think they're probably seeing some kind of um, overspill issue there. Um, but, you know, that they are limited to what they can do because of because of the homologated chassis. Um but another thing is that it, it, it looks like it's a step back towards the uh, the no sidepod concept where what they're doing with the, the concave shape is trying to slow the air over the top of the floor um, opposed to accelerate it down um, to, to, to cause a, a, a difference in, in pressure, a larger difference in pressure between the floor and the lower sidepod. Um, just, that's just a hunch I have just from, from some simple engineering principles, but um, it, it could be working to, totally different, but, but that, that's what that's my take on it anyway. It would suggest so too, because there was a little bit of bouncing reported by the drivers as well. So maybe going back in that direction has led to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, I will probably we'll probably touch on this later, but I think seeing the bouncing come back is not really such a bad thing. Um, it, what, what it's showing is that the floor is now beginning to to generate some some strong downforce. Um, and it's just probably a fact that they, they're not able to control it um, as intended um, so far, probably because of the lack of practice that they had. The drive, This is literally the first time the car, the, the, the upgrades have been on the track. So from, from up until now, they've been in, in the wind tunnel, they've been on CFD and, and, and they haven't actually seen real life effectively. So, um, so yeah, it's probably just a combination of some some finer tweaks that need to be made. Would you say, Joe, that the upgrades that we've seen so far would go towards the 2024 car? I think that's definitely sort of the lot. I think all the upgrades that have been brought in have been with a view to 2024. I mean, Red Bull looked too far ahead to catch them in the immediate future. And what's so important about the upgrades that we get now is that building towards next year, um, we saw with the previous iterations of the car, the sort of correlation issues, and that's all been well documented. And hopefully the, the new car is not only faster, but easier to understand um, and easier to know where to gain that performance from for the future. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good point. So, Tom, would you say it's been a massive U-turn in the car philosophy ever since 
I would say around about Monaco, Monaco sort of time. Yes, I would say so. Um, what, what basically what we're seeing is that they're, they're moving away from developing the high speed and really targeting the low speed. Um, and I think this is down to a, the main thing is that the car at the moment has far too much drag compared to the the other front runners. Um, so what they're doing is having to to really focus on the areas that they're good at, the slow speed. Um, and and take some downforce off the car uh, in order to to keep up on the straight line speed basically. So yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see that I, I am I am in the under the impression that this homing in on the on the slow speed is, can only be a good thing because what, what we're eventually going to see is as soon as as soon as they start to shed some drag, we're going to see lap time come really really quickly, um, and it will almost be like switch like in their performance. So. Um, I think it's it's only positive steps from now. And it's going to be fascinating to see Mercedes up against McLaren as, as the season goes on because it would appear that McLaren are very much comfortable with the high speed and they they need to kind of work their way around the, the, the low speed stuff. So it's two completely different philosophies. And Mercedes are, also, are almost fortunate that they've got such a lead McLaren and we can't really rule out Ferrari because they look quick as well so that that rest or best of the rest kind of championship is going to be interesting to see I think Mercedes have the upper hand because of the points at the moment and operationally they seem to be doing well but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they develop the car. Yeah, it would be definitely interesting in, in terms of that philosophy and what we see this year and obviously next year as well. But let's look at Quali at Spa. Joe, there was very little runtime in FP1 before Quali because of the rain. What direction did Mercedes go with their car setups and why? So you had Lewis had a much lower downforce setup than George. Um, that was a gamble due to the weather um a lot of uncertainty with the weather coming into the weekend we didn't know if we'd get any racing at all fortunately we did um it looked to pay off on lewis's end we got mostly dry or somewhat damp running and you saw that reflected in lewis especially in sector three he was absolutely mighty in sector three all weekend um so i think that was that was really positive george well, he opted for the high downforce setup. It didn't really work out for him, but he, he managed to make the most of it throughout the weekend, but perhaps was gambling on a little bit more rain. We often see George kind of going quite aggressive when there's the chance of, of, of rain or even a, the smallest threat of rain around the track because he's always the first onto the wet tyres. And I, I sense that he, he'd like to take that gamble and go big with the downforce there. And it didn't quite pay off, like Joe said. However, I, I do quite like that about George Russell. He he is always up for a gamble, especially with the Mercedes not performing how he would want it at the moment. It leaves them with very little to lose. That's why he does it. Yeah, I just, just want to add that Spa is, is particularly interesting in terms of setup because you, you've got uh, Sector 1, which is a requiring a low drag setup, um, and then... In, then on to sector three, towards the end of sector three, you've got some some more long straights into into some slow speed corners. Again, you're looking at more of a low speed, uh, sorry, a, a low downforce setup. Um, but then in the middle sector, you'd, you'd want a, a higher downforce setup. But obviously without active aero, you can't have the best of both worlds. So you have to trim the car either one way or the other. 
and both come together to have a similar lap time. So that then combined with the variable weather conditions makes it really difficult for you to choose which way you go. And obviously, George choosing the, the, the high downforce setup, which I was surprised that how little he managed to get out of that extra downforce in, in Sector 2 particularly um, compared to Lewis. Um, so I'm not sure if it was something he was feeling in the car. He wasn't wasn't too happy with with some of some of the balance, maybe. But um, it, it's it's a bit of a mystery to me that one. Um, but ultimately, that's what set him up to be slightly further back than Lewis, maybe. Or, or maybe it's just that the car is far too far too draggy with that with that wing on. So um, yeah, you you have to bear in mind that that the the lift to drag ratios always change with different ride heights so um and vary across the cars as well so it's always a, a moving platform between cars and and you you might see um a, a car do better at a higher downforce setup than another car at higher downforce setup in terms of straight line speed um and it's always it's always a changeable thing um so yeah throwing that all into the, the mixed weather conditions makes for a, a really difficult decision between the high and low downforce um and and yeah, I think this is maybe a bit of Lewis Hamilton here, managing to to extract even more out of his low downforce setup, um, and then also tailoring the car for the slow speed allows a mighty sector one and the end of sector three as well um, with that extra straight line speed. I was going to touch on that actually. We have seen in recent races um, Hamilton and Russell being being quite a different. Uh, quite different in terms of their their pace and I don't know whether it is George struggling with the new upgrades because it seems to have coincided that in terms of the gap increasing for sure um, or whether it's just Lewis enjoying the car more as the car has been developed more in his direction um, as he's been so vocal about calling for for change and, and they, Mercedes seems to be going in that direction. I do wonder whether these changes have made it more difficult for George um, and that's certainly something that they can work on over the summer break. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it, I haven't quite made my mind up whether it's that, that the car's gone towards Hamilton or um, or it's just Lewis becoming, showing his his, his attributes in his driving. Um, I think what is obvious here is that the car is very good. If you take Spa as an example, you've got turn one, the source, um, and and some of that is down to Lewis and his braking performance, um, but also on combined loading, so braking and steering. So we're seeing turn five at the top of uh, the Kemmel Straight is very good into there, and then down the hill then into Ravage turn eight, which is a long radius, um, almost a hairpin like corner. Uh, it's very quick in those corners, and those those chunks because you spend a large percentage of the lap time inside those corners it makes a big difference um to the overall lap time so those small those small tweaks in those corners make a huge difference and it's, it was really interesting to see how those gains in those corners then impacted so so hugely on on the overall lap time uh, and, and i think that's always going to be a positive looking forward into into next year and and if we can bring up that the higher end of the medium speed and high speed corners, we're going to see a, a huge step in, in Mercedes performance. Just one last thing on, on this gap between Hamilton and Russell. Um, in term, I know we're talking about qualifying here, but in terms of race pace, 
it was half a second the difference uh, in terms of average lap times between Hamilton and Russell. Of course, Russell was fighting his way through with traffic and uh, he might not have had the optimal strategy that Lewis did, but still that's the same level of or, or the same gap that, that was between Verstappen and, and Perez. I think only Alonso and Stroll were split by a larger amount, maybe the Ferraris, but, but you, you wouldn't really count that as signs had damage. So it's a, it's a significant gap uh, between the two drivers at the moment. And, and yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that changes or, or remains the same following the summer break. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. But I think most most of that time loss was down to the straight line speed and he was significantly slower than, than Hamilton. And it is such a big part of the lap, um, the straight line speed. So, yeah, he, he that's that's the main area he was losing time. And I think, you know, his his actual race pace was actually really quite good, um, all in considering that he was doing a one-stop. He managed to, to well, this is all, all down to the downforce on the car, helping him um, preserve the life of the tyres throughout that entire stint on, on the medium and the soft. I think he did like 20 laps at the end of the race on the soft. Um, so, yeah, um, I think his main deficit was in the straight line. I think it was something like 10k down on Lewis um, consistently and even down the short straight towards uh, Puon losing out in the straight line. So, yeah, he was just a setup that really didn't work for him, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's the main cause of of the, the the sort of negative performance maybe we've seen from Russell. Tom's not so sure, but Joe, who do you think the car is set up more for, George or Lewis? I think at this point you'd have to say Lewis. Lewis has been the most sort of vocal about the direction that he wants to take the car. And at the end of the day, if, if you're having troubles developing a car, I think the, the driver that you're going to listen to is your seven-time world champion with, you know, 15 years of experience. So I think if you're going to take it any direction, then it's going to be Lewis's direction. But it'll be interesting to see what the gap is at sort of maybe a more representative weekend where we get a lot more practice and maybe sort of drier, less weather uncertain kind of weekend. It'll be interesting to see what we get there. Yeah, definitely. Lewis knows a, a thing or two about Formula One, so it's definitely worth uh, listening to him. So let's focus on Friday. Let's focus on quality. What happened there, Joe? Well, I mean, between the two Mercedes boys, there was a bit of a moment with Lewis slightly ahead of George on track, running wide at a Rouge, uh, Radion, whichever one you want to call it, um, and blocking his teammate. Fortunately, no sort of penalty, sir. That's the last thing that you want. So one thing that, that was very apparent with Mercedes is that they, because they are so good at looking after their tyres, um, you we see them do very well on a, on a drying track in the intercondition because they're able to, to make the Inters last longer in throughout that, that uh, qualifying session, um, opposed to other cars that tend to overheat them. Uh, but then the flip happens when, as soon as you need to go onto the slick and you need to fire them up quickly, that then we see them say, do you step back a little bit in compared to the rest of the field? So that's what we're, we're, we're sort of seeing in, in this quality session. So um, we, we saw Lewis was up there all the time on the Inters and it was looking really good. And then, Unfortunately, the track became too dry. Had to put those the softs on, um, and annoyingly, they enabled DRS, um, which then is a bit, a bit of a step back from Mercedes, in particular Lewis. 
Um, I should explain that that between the two cars, uh, Russell's rear wing and Hamilton's rear wing, they're they're practically the same same sort of shape and size. But Lewis's has a big cutout in the top flap, and what that means is when he opens his wing, he has a less DRS effect than Russell would have in in that example. So, um, and again, that's that's another area where I was surprised that Russell wasn't closer to Hamilton with with that DRS effect and and was able to to effectively know the, the difference in his bigger wing down the, the DRS zones. But I think it was just, there was there was so much drag up until the DRS line that he was so far behind that he couldn't make any effect or effective use of, of the DRS. So, um, yeah. But then, um, as Joe said, uh, I think Lewis, I don't know if he impeded Russell on his final lap maybe because Russell was a long way back in P8, a second, 1.6 seconds or something off. Uh, of Verstappen anyway but yeah I, I don't know if he he, he um, impeded his last lap or something but um, I'm sure one of you guys will know but. the reality is that Lewis was fourth and he was beaten by the two Red Bulls that are quicker and the Ferraris were looking quick through that throughout that session um, and, and in the end it, it was it was Leclerc ahead uh, Ferrari are naturally quite good at switching on their tyres which doesn't help in terms of tire wear but like you say tom when it comes to a drying track it helps them out and and that's why leclerc was able to produce a great lap to go second uh, in qualifying on friday Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's move on to Saturday and move on to sprint quali. There was a bit of controversy with George impeding Lewis's lap. Toto said P1 was on the cars for Lewis without George's mistake. What do you think there, Adam? It absolutely was. I'm glad that you bring it up because I was fuming at the time. Um, I, I remember messaging furiously to the group chat uh, that Joe and I are in, and he can attest to that, uh, that, that I was pretty um, unpleased with with George Russell to put it lightly because what happened in the final session of the sprint shootout in fact let's bear in mind that Lewis had got through and Russell had scraped through both times once again George struggling with the the higher drag um, and, and just the car in general I think but anyway into the source the first corner the hairpin George 
goes wide. He, he's got no traction going out. And, and Lewis actually probably could have overtaken him, but, but George pulled over and blocked him coming out of turn one, which was the first of a comedy of errors between uh, La Source and, and the end of the Kimmel straight. Uh, not Kimmel. We're not talking about the, the talk show host, Kimmel straight uh, <laughs> at the top of a rouge in what becomes Radion, of course uh, George once again got in the way of Lewis and Lewis actually got his hand up and, and, and was looking frustrated which is Mercedes fans and, and knowing that Lewis is your best chance of of getting a decent result in, in sprint qualify or, or sprint shootout or whatever it's called we all get frustrated however looking back it wasn't George's fault fully. Um, I think he could have done better in, in reading the situation, but, but Mercedes, they could have done better in, in terms of the communication and making sure that the cars weren't so close. They were both concerned that they were only just going to make the checkered flag. However, they rushed along to do that, getting in each other's way, tripping over one another, while Max Verstappen, who eventually... What do they call sprint shootout pole? He started first because he had the fastest lap on Saturday morning. You know what I mean. Max Verstappen, was he had a couple of seconds and he was last over the line. And there was probably good five, ten seconds between him and Hamilton. Maybe a car or There might be more. But, but the point is that Mercedes were overly rushed and as a result, the haste turned into less speed so it turns out that 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 saying is true uh about having less haste and more speed yeah mercedes they really need to to cut this silly errors out in 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 quality uh, it's, it happened again both both drivers tripping over each other um i think what happened was i think I, lewis had track position um and he was trying to get his gap um, and then, and then um, Russell comes past uh, to start his lap, um, and I don't know whether it's a, a team thing or the drivers not listening to what the team is saying, but something's not working properly. Um, and yeah, Lewis really, uh, I, I feel frustrated for him because he was on for the pole. I think, um, particularly as the DRS wasn't allowed, it, it, they hadn't activated DRS, um, which which really gave him a chance against Verstappen. Uh, one one of the things that was noticeable is that the Red Bull was actually slower, significantly slower in a straight line this time compared to Lewis. Um, but once the DRS was open, he was a lot quicker than Lewis with his DRS open. Um, so yeah, it, it really ruined his chance for that that um, that that pole pole or whatever we're going to call it. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, I feel frustrated for him. Um, unfortunately. He had to settle for what was it in the end? P four, was it P four? No, P seven. Yeah, P seven. Yeah, P seven. Um, so, and yeah, that would have kept him out of trouble with P- Perez potentially in the, in the sprint, maybe. But yeah, all in hindsight, and and yeah, it's a shame that, that we didn't get to see that final um, like for like lap, Lewis versus Verstappen again. I think what's frustrating is that that's the second time in as many races that George Russell sort of felt under pressure to sort of get into a good position on the track before his lap. Like he's not had enough time to do the preparation that he wants. And I think that was part of the the confusion was George was almost getting some PTSD from the previous week. He wanted to he wanted to make sure that he had plenty of time to start his lap and, and he just didn't have that. 
So I think they need to cut that out. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that he hadn't actually set a representative time at that stage. I don't think he actually finished a lap, did he, properly? What was it, six six seconds off or something? Mm. Yeah. I don't think he actually got a flying lap in um, in, in Q3. So, uh, yeah, it, I think he was feeling that he had to get on with it um, more than Lewis did. And, and that's why we saw, you know, he's, he's exited turn one. Um, and not really yielded, even though he's made the mistake, because he knows he has to get on and at least finish the lap. So um, I think that's what we saw there. I, I just think a couple of things. The the fact that the time is much less in the sprint shootout than it is in qualifying meant that you can't do a lap pit for fresh tyres and then do another flying lap. You don't have the time for that. And and that was that was what ultimately led to the pressure um once george didn't set and uh, set his first lap and and then obviously lewis had done that and then did a cool down lap i do remember having a look at uh, anthony davidson's analysis and it looks like george was actually ahead of lewis which he hadn't been for the first and second session but he was ahead of lewis and lewis overtook him uh, because of all of the traffic that was going on, he kind of cruised past, and then Lewis has to get out of the way of Perez coming through, which allowed George to get back past through, and and then it all just turned into a little bit of a mess. So, yeah, uh, time pressure didn't really help Mercedes in that in that position. No, it, it definitely didn't. I just want to talk about something you talked about, Tom, about the collision with Sergio Perez. Who's at fault there? Because I don't think that penalty was deserved uh, I've, I've only just calmed down <laughs> thanks for bringing that back up again <laughs> i'm still furious i'm still furious uh so well there's a number of things here firstly um i think that both drivers need to appreciate that, that you know it's a wet track um so they need to give each other some more space than they would otherwise normally do i don't think lewis was intending to overtake i think the prayers got slow exit from uh, what corner was it? Where were we now? Uh, turn 14, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah, he's got a slower exit that allowed Lewis alongside. Um, and obviously, Lewis isn't just going to back out of it. He, he, otherwise, he'll be swallowed up down the next straight. So, Lewis is forced to make the move. And, and I do feel that the Perez does squeeze into the, to the apex a little bit, um, causing Lewis to, to run a little bit of um, apex curb, which causes or induces understeer into the car. That then obviously brings them closer together on the exit and they do touch, yes. And unfortunately, by that, the, the touch that happens, it causes Lewis's the rear to step out. So he's turning into that, um, turning into the slide effectively, which then makes the room on the exit look worse than it otherwise would have been. So by Perez not giving the space on the way in, it's made... The, not only the contact happened, but then Lewis to, to make him look like he's in a worse position than, than he would have otherwise been in. So if you ask me, it's it's purely a racing incident. Both drivers could have done more to to avoid the, the incident. Um, and what not only annoyed me, the penalty, five seconds, was the fact that, that Lewis also received two penalty points, which is absolutely outrageous, in my opinion. Um, we, we're trying to encourage these guys to race. Um, and if we keep penalising them for, for silly, you know, racing incidents, uh, rubbing is racing, as, as the term is, 
um, and you know it's gonna it's gonna cause them to to second guess and and sit behind because they're so paranoid about getting these penalties. I think I think they they did penalise the the outcome rather than you know, the, the actual cause of the crime, so to speak. And I know we've uh, we've spoken about it many times, haven't we, Adam? But, I mean, as you've just said, that, that it's a textbook racing incident. It's like it's two cars going for the same spa- space on the track in a move that was always going to happen on a wet track. It's a textbook racing incident. The only reason a penalty's been given is because one car's come off significantly worse than the other. If, if Perez had carried on ahead and maybe Lewis is overtaken in the next lap. There's no way that a penalty is getting given there. And it is just a bit of a wider issue in F1 that you're penalising the outcome as opposed to the incident. Lewis has to drive almost into the lake of Interlagos to avoid contact with Max Verstappen. If Perez goes off into the gravel to avoid the incident, I'm not suggesting he does because that would be idiotic. Does the penalty still happen? Maybe, because then he'll claim that he was forced off the track. No, go, sorry, go wheel to wheel, have it out, and then if if someone takes someone off because it, it, it's, it's stupid race, uh, driving or um, something intentional, fair enough, give a penalty. But like you said, Tom, it's discouraging racing. What are we doing here? As Sebastian Vettel has said, not bumper cars. That wasn't bumper cars. That was racing. Get on with it. I, I feel like the bad guy here, and I've upset the three of you, so I'm going to try my best for the rest <laughs> of the podcast to try and keep all of you on side. I, wa- I need the friends, so I'm trying to keep you uh, as, as happy as possible. But let's move on to Sunday. <laughs> let's move on to the main race. So it, from a Mercedes point of view, it was fairly uneventful. Uh, Joe, George worked his way through the pack quite well. Yeah, he did. As you said, it was Lewis did had basically nothing all race but George provided a bit of entertainment few excellent moves on um, Lance Stroll and other cars and sort of had to fight his way back because of that lower qualifying position um, and obviously it was also harder for him to do so with that higher downforce setup which made the drive even more impressive those overtakes more impressive um, so yeah as you said not the most eventful race from a Staley standpoint but George providing a few box office moments. Yeah, I felt sorry for George. He got uh, rather held up at the start, dropping to P11 from uh, from his Piastri, his damaged car, sat sat at the bottom of Eau Rouge, and he had to back right out of it, letting uh, a couple of guys through. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was an encouraging drive, um, not only for, for for George but but for Mercedes, uh, showing that you know they have maybe a higher downforce setup. They have still got that that longevity entire life over the the, the, the stints um and and yeah it's it's I, I i did see lewis um struggling a little bit with deg in the early early stints and i think that's just a, a teething problem with with running with the, the relatively lower downforce setup um so i think it's encouraging that, that the race pace is still there even though it wasn't really as visible in in Lewis's drive, if that makes sense. Speaking about George, let's move on to Lewis pitting for the fastest lap at the end. There, Adam. Generally, Mercedes were a bit quicker than we expected this weekend, weren't they? Yeah, they were a bit quicker, and and they they won't have fully optimised the uh, the upgrades that they bought, uh, as we've spoken about already, with a bit of bouncing there and, and only at one practice session and loads of rain, doing the usual spa. Uh, kind of weekend so it will be 
interesting to see the updates as as they're they're finessed over the next few races. But yeah, look, Lewis drove a good race. It, it was probably as good as well. It was the best he could have hoped for, unless he'd got ahead of um, Leclerc at the start. That was never going to happen because Perez was really aggressive in terms of defending from Hamilton and turning that defence into an attack on, on Sainz. Um, and I think that ultimately led to Sainz and, and Piastri coming together. It would have been interesting to see where Lewis and, and Sainz stacked up so that we, we could see how Mercedes and Ferrari were pace-wise up alongside each other. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting that Mercedes did seem to have the, the, the top speed advantage over Red Bull, uh, and that was proven by how long it took Max to, to get past Lewis. And, and he only did get past Lewis once Lewis dropped out of, of DRS, which we know wasn't as impactful as, as the other Mercedes. So, um, yeah, it, it really did show, given that we know uh, Red Bull's DRS is so strong. We have a question from Twitter that's got Tom Fletcher written all over it. And it's a question from Peter Cummins. He's asking, how concerning is it that they, Mercedes, have reintroduced porpoising to the W14 based on the Spa upgrades. Does this still show the team do not fully have the aero talent and tools to build a title winning car with these set of ground floor regs? And that's from, like I said, Peter Cummins on Twitter. I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, it might not necessarily be a bad thing, even though, you know, Lewis is complaining about it. I think it does show that the floor is now starting to generate some extra downforce. That's what they're looking for. Um, the problem is that that they're not, it's not doing it in a controlled manner, which might be an easy fix. It might not be. Um, like certainly from the previous gen, gen car, it was, it was almost unsolvable. The only way you could do it is by locking it down, making it extremely stiff and, and, and stopping the aero platform from moving about. Um, so, yeah, I, I have mixed, mixed feelings about it. I think it is more positive because it's not it's, it's a lower frequency than what we've seen, I think, um, which would suggest that it could be a bit more controllable. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not good to have the car bouncing around like that for sure. Um, and and they get, it's encouraging because if, if you can remove that, um, maybe it was detrimental to the lap time. Um, it certainly doesn't help with, with drag as well, with, with the car scratching on the ground all the way down the straight. Um, and maybe if you just remove those little niggles, you're going to have a big bigger step in performance. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, providing they get on top of it and understand what's causing it and that's going to be the really telling point and and the turning point so to speak um but yeah we'll, we'll have to wait and see again mercedes like bringing these updates to uh non-representative conditions or circuits like uh bringing the first one in at uh at monaco uh, well, i mean what what on earth are you going to learn from that um but yeah the same same sort of thing going on here with the, with the varying uh changing conditions and um, and also the lack of practice that they had. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, I think. Um, but I think this this feels more positive than, than it has done in, in the past. One thing I'd add with Peter's question, um, they asked about uh, whether Mercedes have the talent, and I think they still do. Uh, but it will be interesting to see 
where Alan Permain goes, he's one of the people leaving Alpine in their exodus. Um, and he is someone with vast experience um, who, who will be invaluable wherever he ends up getting a job. And I wonder whether it's, it's something that Mercedes would potentially look in, into going for uh, so that James Allison can go back up to up to that role that he was in before and, and rely on Allen to do that. Um, I don't know. It's just an idea that I'm floating out there. But yeah, potentially some good talent is out there. Definitely listen to next week's episode of the Silver Arrows podcast. We're talking about the F1 knowledge pool. So listen in next week. But for now, just finishing off this week's podcast, Joe, considering the lack of practice sessions this weekend and the nature of the track at Spa, is it too early to tell just how well the updates worked? Yeah, I think definitely. There's no way that you're going to be able to get all the information you want and work out the sweet spot of a setup in a in a fp3 session that was very heavily affected by rain and then you've just got the competitive sessions that were also very heavily affected by rain and obviously you can't um work on the car too much during those sessions so i think it's you know i think there were positive steps that the upgrade showed and i'm hoping that's a good sign that we're going to get even further steps um, and the next race at Zanvoort as well, which the car went well at um, last year. So it would be a good um, good comparison to see where the team is in, in sort of relation to that. That's a great point, actually, because it's really low mm-hmm. speed, like Hungary. Imagine the scenes in Zanvoort when Hamilton takes pole position there. A, a huge <laughs> away day, that would be. And... It would it would be almost as satisfying as Hamilton taking the fastest lap off Max Verstappen after all that bickering on the radio on a set of medium tyres. Who else, Mercedes fans, wanted to hear Max's engineer tell him that Lewis had taken the fastest lap of the race <laughs> on mediums? <laughs> Let him know it was him. Music to my ears. (laughs) Just to finish off a couple of Twitter questions, Ange is asking a very, very hypothetical question here, Tom. Not Spa-specific, but do Mercedes have access to simulation tech as Red Bull? It seems Red Bull do a lot of their wind tunnel work by simulation. Presume that's why cost cap penalty, not an issue. So I wonder if Mercedes use this tech, and if not, why not? Again, we don't have the information, but Tom, what's your best guess at that? I would say that, that most of the simulation packages are going to be very similar. Um, I would have thought, if not the same. Um, they, I don't think they make in-house CFD simulation software, if I'm honest. I, I think it is all, all um, off-the-shelf bought um, products. Um, but what is important is knowing how to use it properly um, and knowing what you know what is a good simulation versus what is not such a good simulation and and how you correlate them to the wind tunnel and and then to the track um that's the important thing here i don't i don't think there's there's necessarily a, a better quality of cfd it's 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 effectively the same the same thing you know you're you're calculating um iteratively down the length of the car um using the same maths so I don't. I can't see them having um, a better CFD software than, say, Mercedes would. It's it's all down in, into how how you're using it and how the team's using it to to 
their advantage. I'm so glad you're here, Tom. That's a, a brilliant point. And just to finish off, you're only allowed to say these tracks. You're not allowed to say why, but a great finishing question here from Shane on Twitter. And he says, let's be hypothetical. We might as well. If there were two races you could win this season, which ones would you pick? Adam, let's go to you first. Which two races would you pick? Oh, what do I want? Which Vegas. Two? Yeah, Vegas. Okay. And which other track? And probably Abu Dhabi. Okay. Leaving leaving style. Yeah. Finish on a high. Oh, Brazil. Oh, oh no, you I'm going to go with Brazil, actually. Gonna, okay, cool. All right. No, not Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <Just> vibes. <laughs> I know Joe hates that word, but vibes. Joe. I also hate you for nicking my pick because I was definitely going to go to Brazil. So you've made me sound unoriginal now, but definitely Brazil. And um, oh, Suzuka as well. I'm going pure best racetracks in Suzuka. What a track. So I'd love to see the Mercedes flying through those S's. Whether it does, I don't know. Am I allowed allowed to choose the same or? Uh, Go the same. Why not? It's nearly Christmas, right? Let's go. uh, Which one do you think, Tom? Uh, Suzuka, the ultimate driver's circuit. Um, And then, come on, let's let's go for Zanvor. Let's let's make the orange army happy. (laughs) as adam as adam says a great way day great way day Uh, tom adam as always an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on yeah pleasure thank you absolutely thank you for having us And that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Tom, Joe and Adam for joining us. Their social media handles are in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MercF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. We'll see you next week for a very special tech episode with Matt Trumpets from the Missed Apex podcast. We'll see you then.